Financial markets hit by the conflict in the Middle East. Will passports become obsolete? And Arnold Schwarzenegger wants kids to toughen up. Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It is Tuesday, the 10th of October, 2023. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, after the show, you have an interview coming up with Judy Anderson-Firth from Euphemia. Yes. So Euphemia are basically startup investors, but they invest in the companies that invest in the startups, or primarily that's what they do. They also have some of their own investments in fintech companies, in women-led companies. Really fascinating chat about how she thinks about investing, about how they think about exiting an investment before they even go into it, what they're looking for, how they worry about cash flow just really fascinating, particularly around that whole startup small business area. Yeah, I was going to say, Sean, have you ever heard someone who has a better grasp on the startup scene? Oh, man. You know, some people you interview and you think to yourself, I think they're reading this because they are so precise. Well, she certainly wasn't reading it because she comes across as if she's just conversing. But wow, she knew her stuff. Absolutely. It is a very good interview. It's coming up later on. The main story this morning, though, Sean, global markets have reacted sharply to the war in the Middle East with oil futures surging and the share price of oil and gold companies jumping. The Hamas invasion into Israel has roiled markets with oil futures rising and investors looking for safe havens. On the ASX yesterday, the gyrations around oil sent the majors, Woodside and Santos, up 3% and 4% respectively. But big users of oil, such as Qantas, fell. The national carrier share price was down more than 3%, hitting another 11-month low. The gold stocks finished up higher since gold is a place to be in times of trouble. Evolution Mining was up 6.5%. Market leader Newcrest Mining was up nearly 5%. Other big companies like DeGray Mining and West African Resources were among the best performers on the day. Global currencies fell against the US dollar. The greenback is considered a safe haven in times of trouble, and it appreciated against the euro, against the pound, and against the local dollar. The Aussie is currently trading lower at around 63.5 US cents. Israel itself is a big exporter of drugs, pharmaceuticals, chips, and software services. Any prolonged conflict could hurt these sectors, with tech giants like NVIDIA and Samsung having significant operations in the country. Now, oil is the critical commodity because its price impacts so much of the rest of the world. Price rises in oil are generally thought to increase inflation and reduce economic growth. So a rise in the price can pretty much forecast what's going to happen to global growth. Iran is a major oil producer and a key backer of the Hamas group that launched the attack on the weekend. It's the wild card. If Tehran decides to reduce the flow of oil or the US opts to crack down on the flow of Iranian oil, then prices will spike from already high levels. And this is happening at a time when Saudi Arabia and Russia have cut supply. So financial markets are in a lot of turmoil at the moment. Now, Sean, on the ground, it's really quite confronting, isn't it? Some of the news of what's happening and some of the images that we're seeing are just horrific. I I looked at those images of the attendees at the music festival where about 260 people were killed and some were kidnapped. They are extremely distressing to say the least. Now, the situation is changing by the hour, but it's clear there's been hundreds of deaths on both sides after Israel retaliated for Hamas's incursion into its territory over the weekend. Hamas also has an unknown number of Israeli hostages. Tel Aviv called on residents of Israel near the Gaza Strip to evacuate, 
while tens of thousands of Palestinians have taken shelter in schools in the area. The UN Security Council held an emergency meeting with the United States demanding all 15 members strongly condemn these heinous terrorist attacks committed by Hamas, but the council took no immediate action. Both China and Russia said they condemned any killing of civilians, and China called for an immediate ceasefire and reiterated its support for an independent Palestinian state. It was then criticised for that comment by the US. Iran said it wasn't involved in the attack, but it supports the action. Several Americans were killed in the attack, and the US has ordered the Ford Carrier Strike Group to sail to the Eastern Mediterranean to be ready to assist. As I said, Michael, the situation is changing by the hour, but very, very worrying. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, Sean, how did the ASX end yesterday overall? The S&P ASX 200 finished up 0.2% to 6,970 points, though earlier in the day, it came close to breaking through that 7,000-point mark. As we've already mentioned, it was the energy and gold stocks pushing the market higher. The banks did well, with all four rising. Recently, last few days, there's been a few analyst upgrades on their forecast for bank earnings. Fortescue Metals was the worst performer yesterday of the very large stocks. Magellan Financial Group's an interesting one. It dropped another 7% yesterday. Its precipitous fall in recent days means it's now the smallest of the top 200 in terms of market capitalization. It's worth just $1.2 billion. In corporate news, share registry company and superannuation administrator Link Group has completed the sale of its troubled UK business. There will be a lot of relief in head office today about that one. Link last financial year lost $418 million after making big provisions for the settlement of action by the UK Financial Conduct Authority over that subsidiary's management of a collapsed income fund over there. Now, Link has sold the business to an Irish company, and I'm sure they're saying good riddance at this point. Yeah, sounds like it. And uh, Sean, international markets? Well, it's all about the Israeli-Hamas conflict at the moment, though later in the week, Wall Street will turn its attention a little more to third quarter earnings season. Over the next seven days or so, the big banks, JP Morgan and Citigroup, will report, so too will PepsiCo. Companies in the S&P 500 are projected to post a 0.3% year-on-year drop in third quarter earnings. Mostly, they beat expectations, so in fact, there may not be a drop in third quarter earnings. That would be a pretty decent result and sort of reflects the surprising strength in the US economy at the moment. Okay, there's a fair bit to get through today, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, the latest polls on the voice referendum have the no vote in front, though there have been late gains for the yes campaign. That's right. Confusion over the voice has undercut support for the contentious change, with only 29% of voters saying they are happy to cast their balance on the principle of the voice without knowing the design, while 60% want more information. That's according to a nine-newspaper survey by Resolve Strategic. Interesting, I think that was the same argument about six months ago. A news poll in The Australian said 34% of respondents will vote yes and 58% will vote no. Not surprising there's confusion out there. After all, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is calling the changes a modest request, while opposition leader Peter Dunn, well, he's saying it will divide the nation by race. Support for The Voice has gone from 43 to 44% over the past month, according to some polls. That is a slight pickup. There are still large no votes, though, in, in some states, Queensland and Western Australia, for example. 
Now, the big four banks, Sean, have made more than 2,000 workers redundant this year in response to growing cost pressures, including 200 job losses announced yesterday at the Commonwealth Bank. That's right. Westpac has cut nearly 1,100 jobs, according to the finance sector union this year, while the Commonwealth Bank is at around 600 jobs, according to a report in the Financial Review. Yesterday, Commonwealth Bank told the union it would cut 192 jobs following a downturn in retail banking and a shift towards automation. National Australia Bank has made about 340 staff redundant since January. And while the finance sector union does not have comprehensive numbers for ANZ, the bank's half-year results show that in the year to March, it reduced its full-time equivalent staff by more than 350. Three of the major banks, Westpac, ANZ and National Australia Bank, will report their full-year results next month. Cost inflation is expected to be a focal point for investors and analysts, not really surprising that we are seeing sub-job losses. Keep in mind, Commonwealth Bank, which actually has its annual general meeting tomorrow, employs nearly 55,000 staff. So while the numbers sound big, hundreds of jobs, it's actually less than 2% of the overall company staff. Uh, Sean, there are board changes at Meyer, with the chair, Joanne Stevenson, retiring after seven years as a director at the department store and a couple of new non-executive directors up for election. Now, the Meyer board isn't exactly a cushy job, given the very active Solomon Liu owns about 29% of the company. The outgoing chair, Stevenson, well, she's had quite a few battles with Liu over the years. She'll be replaced by Ari Mervis from the November 9 annual general meeting. Also standing at that meeting is head of Qantas loyalty, Olivia Worth. Olivia missed out on the top job at the National Carrier a few months back. Also standing is well-known businessman Gary Weiss. Both are supported by Solomon Liu. Very handy, that. Maya's also on the lookout for a new chief executive with boss John King leaving next year. Since its peak in early March, my share price has more than halved. Sean, you mentioned that uh, the Maya board isn't exactly a cushy job, but if you were going to be a, a director on a board, wouldn't you want one that's got a bit of drama and a bit of theatre to it so that it feels like kind of every day is, a, is another episode of succession? Yeah, you want Qantas. Absolutely you want to be on Qantas. That's where you want to be. You've been a bank, but oh, oh harm. Even a resource company. You want action. Yes. I reckon Qantas is the way to go. Qantas, okay. Well, I mean, at the very least, kind of Maya, you know that there's like these big, there's these big yeah. personalities. There's plenty of kind of drama going on. Speaking of which, Sean, and I haven't mentioned this to you, and it feels like we are getting slightly off topic. While you're away, mm-hmm. I finally finished watching Succession. Ah, did you like it? Oh, loved it because you had been raving about it for so long, and I couldn't get past the first couple of episodes. So finally, we just got stuck right into it based on your recommendations. Yeah. And because I mean, you, you talked about it on this podcast so many times because I said anyone who loves kind of well, business news and just business theater and drama will love Succession. And you're absolutely right. What a ripping show. What a ripping show. It's fantastic. Another one which you've got to get into, which is other end of the spectrum, totally silly. Oh, dear. Is The Great. I love The Great. I haven't watched the latest season. I'm up. I've, I've watched the first two seasons. You know what I'm watching at the moment, Sean? What? The Office, the US version of The Office. Ah. I'm up to season three. It feels like I'm kind of 20 years late with well, this. No, well, I'm with you on this because while we're away, Jackie and I, you know, you get the end of the day and you just wanted to kind of do nothing, we'd put on The Office. And so we're actually up to season eight or nine or so. There's only nine seasons. I think we're up to season eight. We've been watching it for a couple of years, to be honest, but... When we were away, we watched a lot of The Office just for the downtime. 
Oh, it's great. And the best part about having a 20-minute show or so to watch is that I can get through 20 minutes without yeah. falling asleep. Any yeah, longer than yeah. that, I am guaranteed, because we get up so early, I'm guaranteed to fall asleep uh, at about 23 minutes into a show. So if it ends at 22, I'm set. Well done. On with the news, Michael. Yeah, sorry, we slight detour, turned it into the Fear and Greed Entertainment podcast. Uh, one commodity, Sean, where prices are rising is uranium. Now, it's trading at close to a 12-year high as countries consider nuclear as a power option. BHP reckons this could be an opportunity to expand its South Australia Olympic Dam project. Japan, China, Canada, Turkey, the United States, South Korea, they've all talked about opening nuclear power reactors in recent months. It's a hot button issue, pardon the pun, particularly in Japan, which closed its reactors after the 2011 Fukushima accident. To get to net zero, analysts say nuclear has to be part of the equation. Nuclear needs uranium, and BHP produces the commodity as a byproduct of its copper mining at Olympic Dam. Boss Mike Henry told the Financial Review that the company's focus is on copper, but strong uranium prices may indirectly lead to higher uranium export volumes from South Australia because it would make an expansion of Olympic Dam more viable. Uh, Sean, it's a big week for renewables with a major conference starting today likely to throw up plenty of news. Uh, Yesterday, the Clean Energy Council, which is the the peak body for the sector, said that Australia needs a $100 billion transformation package to get back on track. That's the spend over the next decade if the country wants to be 82% renewable by 2030. The council wants a renewable energy superpower master plan. A superpower master plan, don't you love that? Ooh. It's needed for full decarbonisation by 2035. Also wants a long-term mechanism to drive increased investment in large-scale projects. Think tax breaks or something like that. Uh, it also wants new national targets for rooftop solar and distributed energy storage. Interestingly, though, the council didn't mention nuclear. I mentioned this one at the top of the show. Passports might become obsolete eventually with a a number of countries now trialling e-passports. Yeah, so the idea is to have your passport on your phone. A story in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age says that several jurisdictions around the world are trialling e-passports. Finland has begun trialling digital travel credentials at Helsinki Airport. It's very, very small trial, but passengers on some flights between Helsinki and some English cities don't need passports. Singapore will, next year, begin using biometric data to streamline processing through Changi Airport. Biometrics will be used to authenticate departing passengers. They won't need a physical Well, they probably will need a physical passport to get in, but when they're leaving, the biometrics will actually validate their departure. In Europe, the EU digital identity wallet is expected to be made available to 80% of all EU citizens by 2030. Remember Australia flirted with the idea of a digital passport between Australia and New Zealand back in 2015? It came to naught, but wouldn't it be a good thing if you didn't need the passport, which inevitably goes missing? Yeah, but where are you going to get your stamps? Are they just going to stamp the screen of your phone, Sean? Mm. This is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't you haven't travelled much, have you, Michael? <laughs> Getting stamps in your passport is still one of the highlights. Yeah, I, yeah no, I, I agree. I totally agree with that. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. Anyway, bring it back. Um, bring back stamps. In international news, Sean, Kiwis go to the polls this weekend and Prime Minister Chris Hipkins says a change in government would be a missed opportunity to deepen trans-Tasman relations. 
No doubt Hipkins and Anthony Albanese get on better than Jacinta Ardern and Scott Morrison. Those two didn't really agree on much, didn't agree on China, didn't agree on Pacific nations. There's also that stoush over the deportation of New Zealand citizens born in Australia. Anyway, Hipkins reckons that New Zealand will do better with Australia if he wins. Now, his Labor government is facing defeat, if the polls are correct, as voters vent over the cost of living crisis, increased crime and poor infrastructure in the country. The centre-right National Party is headed by former Air New Zealand Chief Executive Christopher Luxton. The polls also say he probably won't win a majority government but may need some of the minority Conservative parties to help him out. All right, one more story, Sean, and this one comes with a high degree of risk of you attempting to do a terrible accent, so please, please don't. Arnold Schwarzenegger has lamented today's youth saying they are becoming a generation of wimps and weak people. <laughs> the movie star, maybe former movie, he's certainly former governor of California. I think he's done movies in recent years. I don't know if he's former movie star or a movie yeah. star. Yeah, well, he's certainly past his kind of prime movie years. Yes, that's true. He's 71 uh, and he still looks pretty good though. He reckons kids are too pampered and they need to learn, and I quote, accept pain, misery and discomfort. He compared different, he was in a radio interview and he compared different generations against the accomplishments of first generation Americans. And I quote, is it people that slept in? Is it people that were wimping out? This, oh, I want to feel good. Oh, I want to be comfortable. No, this is where ballsy women and men that went out there at five in the morning and got up and they struggled, they fought, they worked their butts off. Let's go and teach kids to be tough. Go out and do sports. Struggle and go through these kinds of painful moments, end quote. <laughs> the father of five also suggested kids turn off their mobile phones. Good luck with that one. It might be a good way to start, but I reckon mm. that could be the biggest hurdle there. Isn't, isn't that incredible? When you have someone, when you do a radio interview or a podcast interview, you live for someone giving you quotes like totally. that and just going, this is totally. extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but. Sean, speaking of good interviews, uh, you have a cracker coming up next with Judy Anderson-Firth from Euphemia. An expert in startups and investing in startup companies, venture capital, that type of thing. Very concise about what she's looking for and what companies should be looking for. Definitely worth a listen. Yes, coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 10th of October, 2023. I thought you were about to bust out an Arnie there right at the very end. I'm like, please don't, don't, please don't. And the look on your your face, you attempted, but you didn't. You resisted. Mm. So thank you. You're welcome. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day.